0: The volume. The sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee. that's R-E-N-E-E, so they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP- or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 7777, or visit slash chat for Connecticut, 1 800 gambler, or visit slash rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1 770 stop for Louisiana, 1 800 270 for confidential help in Michigan, 1 877 8 hope ny, or text hope ny for New York, Tennessee redline, 1 800 889 9789. for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to uh, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it. Learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, Just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Um, Okay, so I'm going to start this interview off with something super random, but I was watching the trailer for a new Timothy Chalamet movie, and I realized he reminds me of you. Have you ever been told this?
1: I don't know who the hell that is. (laughs) What? I don't have a TV at my house. Stop! I only just recently got Wi Fi because people told me I should have it for work. Um, because I kind of live out in the woods, it's like I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know any new movies. I don't know any new shows. I don't have, like. I don't know shit.
0: Well, first of all, Timothy Chalamet is kind of like the it boy. He's like very kind of like brooding and like he's very serious. He's a great actor. He's in the movie. Um, Call Me By Your Name. I can't remember the name of the new movie he's doing. It was actually filmed here in Cincinnati. Something like I don't know. Anyways, whatever. He's great. And anyways, he reminded me of you when I was watching the trailer for his new movie. I was like, I'm trying to place where it's drawn, what when when it is. I'm like, it reminds me of Darby. That's what it is. I'll show you at TV because we are now co-workers.
1: Yeah, I heard. I saw saw it when uh, I was down home in Atlanta, and I I wasn't there this past week in Toronto. I was getting ready for this Halloween party at my house, and oh. um, that's why I'm stoked that I'm here in Ohio because I didn't know if I was gonna survive my uh, my latest.
0: What does that entail? What What is your Halloween party? I feel like this thing. Must, it's at your house in the woods.
1: Yeah, we had like uh, some bands play. We. That car I jumped over my house with the jeep. Uh-huh. We got that running again, and we were gonna do more uh, jumps in the woods. Some more. I don't know how the jeep is still alive, but it is. It was cool. I ordered a bouncy house, but um, didn't get to use. it. I was so busy all day that I ended. Then I got my money's worth in the bouncy house by sleeping in it. <laughs> um, but I also got a dunk. <laughs> And then we fill up the whole dunk tank. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we filled it up with everything from the grocery store, like raw hamburger meat.
0: Ew. It
1: smelled like shit. Then we had a big skate contest because I just built this pretty good-sized skate park in my backyard. And, um, yeah, Billy Gunn was also there randomly, which is...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Did Billy Gunn go in the dunk tank?
1: No, he didn't go to the dunk tank. I got a wrestling ring downstairs in my basement. We did this thing where we were running the ropes, and Billy Gunn was shooting us with a paintball gun. And he caught me right on top of the dome right here. And, you know, it was just funny. To, it was a funny sight to see Billy Gunn hanging out with a bunch of skaters.
0: Billy Gunn, that's, what, that's his fountain of youth, I think. I mean, I don't know how this guy is just like this resurgence of Billy Gunn. I am here for it. I The scissor me daddy, we are all on board. Everyone loves Billy Gunn right now. Hell yeah, as it should be. The guy's a saint. He rules. It was fun. What, a, what an insane party. Are you exhausted? Like, is your body beat up? Does your body ever get a break? I feel like you're always just kicking your own ass.
1: Yeah, no. Every time I'm off for the week, it's like, all right, Darby's going to like take the week off and chill out and whatever. But it's like, I go harder outside of work than I do in the realm of AEW. So I'm never really like stopping. So uh it's it's fun though cuz I never know when I'm going to you know get hit by a bus or something.
0: How old are you? You're young. You're young, so you're still feeling good.
1: I'm 29 right now.
0: Do you feel good?
1: I feel amazing actually and I've been jumping off of washers and dryers onto concrete since I was 4 so I feel uh I feel really solid actually. I do I'm so extreme about physical therapy. If the one thing you see Oh you are. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause I, I want to be as crazy as for long as possible. So if you ever see me at tapings, I'm always in the doctor's room. Not, not because I'm like messed up just cause I like to do maintenance and like dry needling and acupuncture and you know, a lot of yoga and shit.
0: What do you think works the best? I was curious about that because I was like, I wonder if he has one of those guys that really like gets in there and takes care of himself. Because I would almost, I would have thought maybe you weren't because you're so extreme and so insane. I thought you just like I don't know would maybe throw some ice on it. But good to know you're actually being like diligent about taking care of yourself. What do you think's most effective?
1: Acupuncture. I talked Sting into trying it for the first time, and he said that uh, he got like a kick-ass night's of rest. So. uh, I think it works, like, really good. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of shit that I do. I got – my whole house is full of, like, weird knickknacks, like, aversion tables and all this, like, cool, like, whatever. There's, like, things that you put your neck in and you pump this thing up and it stretches your neck out. And I don't know, man. It's, just like, um, it's like some EDSM crap, but uh, it's not. It's, uh, it's a fucking physical therapy. So.
0: I feel like I need – now that I work for AEW, I feel like – I would like to start a segment where I just come to your house and I just I just want to check out what you have going on there. It seems like a, a madhouse all the time.
1: I always thought it'd be cool if AEW did like a cribs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like my house would be psycho. We got fourteen acres. We just How
0: many people live at your house? You say we, like how many people are involved in this project?
1: Two right now. It's just this friend from high school named Kentucky. He's like my right hand crazy man. He's like insane. And then Nolan, uh, who plays in a band called Ghost Mane. Uh so he's never. I told him because he he's on tour all the time and he like lives in he lived in Los Angeles. I'm like, dude, you're never home. Like you're wasting all this fucking money on rent. Like just come live out in the woods. So it's just us and Kentucky's the lawn care guy. He takes care of everything.
0: So why no TV? Why no Wi-Fi? Why out in the woods? This is obviously an active decision. How come?
1: Out in the woods is because like I want to blow shit up and not be bothered. <laughs> and I want to jump my house and not be bothered. <laughs> there's a lot of things, like just freedom, and but no TV and Wi-Fi. I feel like I could turn my mind off because I'm really into like kind of meditating a lot and being in my, I don't know. I, there's a lot that goes into it. The moment I'm around, like, TV or, like, Wi-Fi, I kind of feel trapped, and it feels like there's, like, a rat race going on when I would rather just fuck off and live in my own world, and that's what I do all the time. It's, like, uh, a few people come over, and then when they see, like, the place, like, no wonder you don't feel the need to go on Twitter. (laughs) You're, like, you're out here doing all these weird shit all day.
0: Okay. So are you like a big reader? Are you writing? Like when you're like in your own little world, what, what all, I mean, aside from the stunts, we we know the stunts are happening, but like when you're not destroying your body and jumping your house and repairing your Jeep, what are you doing?
1: I do do a lot of reading and I do a lot of writing. I went to film school, but I dropped out for wrestling. So I always like try to come up with these like screenplays of these movies and stuff like that. And I'm always thinking about it and like, I get I wanna pull the trigger on directing my first film like pretty soon. But it's just a matter of like you know, I was trying to like build my name up as much as possible in the last couple of years. So when I release this film it's kinda of like got a head start as opposed to some random jack off from film school that's like, <laughs> you know, there's a million people releasing movies, but if I figured if someone's like, Yo, Darby Allen has a movie, people would be like, Let me see what that's all about
0: what are the movies that you gravitate towards of like movies that you want to make
1: uh so movies i want to make are just like dark comedies but what i gravitate towards is like documentaries that's like uh it's like something i would always really be interested in like all these crazy documentaries and stuff like that but uh as of right now the screenplay that i've gotten is for like dark comedies and stuff
0: do you have like a DVD collection? What are you watching if you don't have TV and you don't know who Timothy Chalamet is? How are you like keeping up on <laughs> on what's going on?
1: I don't know. I just watch skate videos all day. It sounds weird, but like I don't I <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like I don't know. There's so much going on that. Like someone's like, "Yo, did you hear there? I didn't know there was a new like Hocus Pocus movie until like yesterday." I was like, "What?" It's
0: pretty good actually. It's pretty charming. <laughs> it's not bad.
1: I don't. I don't know how I keep up with anything.
0: Well, I guess it's still kind of like word of mouth because if something's big enough that you need to know about it, you'll hear about it. I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of that's kind of it. I think the last movie I've seen in the theater was like Joker, and that's just because I like Todd Phillips, the director. His I like his work. His first ever uh, documentary was uh, he followed around Gigi Allen. If you know who Gigi Allen is,
0: I don't. Who's Gigi Allen?
1: The dude I'm named after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, what? Who is he? What's his deal? I don't know who that is.
1: Todd Phillips followed around Gigi Allen uh, in the last like year of his life. It's funny because like I'm straight edge, but Gigi Allen was like uh, the exact opposite. He died of like a heroin overdose, but he was a he was a psychopath on stage. He'd like be the guy who would like take a crap on stage and eat it and throw it at. Oh people.
0: my god!
1: But the thing is, like um, Todd Phillips, his first ever film was called hate it it was following Gigi allen around and stuff like that but then he went on to make all these like critically acclaimed like movies like the hangover road trip now the joker which is like the number one selling movie of for rated r of all time like it's cool
0: what kind of stuff would you want to do i mean i feel like the cinematic style matches that aew has done have all actually been really fucking great um what what kind of different touch would you want to do on a cinematic match or you know when Working on them. What's that all like?
1: The cinematic match was like, I don't know. That was that was kind of hell on earth. Was it? Yeah, because how it's like I get thrown through a door and it's like, cut, do that again.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that aspect would definitely fucking
1: suck. You get your adrenaline so high and then you have to stop for so long and then go so high. There's this part in the cinematic match where... I was on the second story, and I was throwing a bat down to Sting, like just a baseball bat. Right before we were going to do the scene, Tony Conn was like, cut, cut, cut. He's like, don't you know how physics work? It's going to break Sting's face, like the bat like falling from the second story. And then uh, Sting's like, no, like, we, we're going to do this. It's too cool not to do. And then it's like, no, it's going to like break your face <laughs> if you <laughs> don't catch it. Oh, shit. That was, like, the first and only time I ever really stopped and thought about, like... Because normally, if you think too much about things, like, you know what I mean? Like, it'll just... It'll throw you off. But Sting was, like, whispering. He's like, dude, just throw the bat.
0: But you can't break Sting's face. That's a lot to carry on your shoulders to be the man that broke Sting's face. It's fucked up.
1: But Sting was like, dude, just throw the bat. Like, do it anyways. And then we did it. And he caught it, like, one-handed, like, perfect. I remember we were filming from, like, noon to, like, 6 in the morning... And uh, it was insane, but it was super fun, but I would never want to do it again. Turned out great. You know, there was so much stuff I wanted to do in there that we couldn't want to like run someone over with a car or, you know, but uh, there was a lot of stuff. It was fun though.
0: What is like left for you to do like when you're thinking about either you're doing something in the ring or it's something you're going to do once you get home what are or do you have like a list written down somewhere of like shit that you're trying to accomplish or big feats like what is that
1: it was funny it's funny you asked that because I uh I asked Tony like probably like a month ago I was like yo do you have any connections to outer space
0: <laughs> does he I feel like he might does he
1: I think he does. Yeah. Like, so I was just like, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like people are going to politic and, yo, yo, let me be champion. I'm like, there's been a thousand champions, but no wrestler has been outer space. So uh, let's make that happen. Yes. But it always, it always changes. Cause like, you know, I was in Nitro Circus and that was like a big thing of mine. I backflipped like the little tricycle over the like this forty foot gap, and I'm just thinking of like first time ever. It's like ain't no wrestler I'm gonna fucking backflip a tricycle again, you know? Like I feel like uh, I'm in a league of my own with that type of stuff, but it feels good because it. I don't know. It helps me like stand out because like when I first started wrestling, I was like, man, am I gonna even be able to hang in this shit? And like I just didn't know how like I could fit into this world of wrestling because I felt like such an outsider from it. And um, yeah, it helps out. Like probably like two weeks ago, I went to Oregon to jump off a 92 foot waterfall.
0: Oh my God, dude, I saw that, holy shit.
1: But what happened was I got up there and there there was like no cell phone reception at all down there. And I got up and I was like, yo, this is really high. I was like, this is fucking high. And if I like landed wrong, I was like, no one would be able to come save me. And to get back up to where the cars were parked, you had to scale up the side of a mountain holding onto a rope.
0: So if you got fucked up, you would have been left for dead.
1: Yeah, like someone would have someone would have had to walk with their cell phone reception and call an airlift to come find me. But I was up there, and I'm like, look, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, it's just, I got to wrestle Jay Lethal this week. <laughs> I'm like looking, I'm looking, and I, I'm up there for five minutes, but it's kind of wet, you know, and I slipped and I fell off the side. So if you watch the video back, you can see me like slip and then I fall to my ass and I'm already like leaning forward from falling, I like, slip in and I have to like, it's either I have to jump off and try to save myself or I'm going to try to like catch myself and then probably get more messed up. So I'm already leaning forward. So I jump off and I barely skate that one away. I was like, so it's kind of funny to think like, Oh, I fell off a 92 foot waterfall.
0: That just made my stomach turn. I used to not be afraid of heights and like the last like, Maybe like five years or so, the idea of something like that happening or like falling. We just watched the new movie called, which obviously you've not seen it. Um, Fuck, what is it called? It's the same people that did 47 Meters Down, but it's about these girls that climb this gigantic cell phone tower thing and they get stuck up there.
1: I watched that on the plane with no like audio. I just was watching the visuals of it and like the buzzards were like eating the dead girl.
0: My palms were sweating the whole time. I was so fucking stressed out that whole movie. That's your real life.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, that was actually like I didn't get to watch it with audio, but it seemed cool.
0: It's actually pretty good. It's one of those, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, we have to watch this. Like, 47 meters down, we went and saw it in theaters. And I remember, like, John and I were both, like, maybe having, like, minor panic attacks watching that film. Uh, And, yeah, seeing. I can't remember what this new one's called. But anyways, same people, same deal. Anyone's listening hopefully knows what the hell we're talking about. But good movie. Definitely check it out. Um, in the ring, where do you draw the line on what you're going to do? Or some, I, I assume somebody else is drawing this line for you.
1: I don't know, actually. The body <laughs> so, bags like, so stress with,
0: me out. Those look gnarly. When you're taking like a suplex in the body bags, like how do you, how?
1: That's funny because uh, two weeks ago, we were at my friend's, uh, he was performing at a music festival down in Calif- uh, Sacramento called uh, Aftershock. It's like, they had a bunch of people there that night. There was like Rob Zombie, Slipknot, but my buddy's band is a Ghost Mane. And they had like a pretty like good turn for the crowd. And we threw me in the body bag and threw me off the stage. And I crowd surfed in the body bag. And like, it was like 90 degrees. It was so fucking hot. And we, we went from the front of the crowd pretty much to the back. Like we went, we got far. And then because I got on the stage beforehand, I was like, yo, everybody sometime in this concert i'm gonna be getting in that body bag so uh just take me all the way to the back like like i wanted to like go through thousands of people zipped up and then as i was getting like crowd surfed through people they're like i guess the people that didn't know that i you know gave a speech they're like holy shit there's someone in there and it was like pretty it was pretty funny though uh but like that was that that was so hot i was like holy crap
0: I'm going to need to take a Xanax in order to complete this interview. Like that shit stresses me out. Oh my, like how claustrophobic do you ever hit a point that you're like, Hey, I'm done. Are we at the end? Like, let me out of this bag. Like, does that happen?
1: No, not yet. And I haven't got to a point either in the ring where I'm like, all right, this is, this is where I'm too sketched out. There's the one part where I wrestled Jeff Hardy and I was on top of the ladder and like, you know, when I do the front flip and we went to the chairs, so like earlier in the day, I climbed that ladder and I looked down and I was like, yeah, I'm for sure going to the hospital tonight. Like, there's no, like, there's no way around it. Like for sure. And then, uh, but like when the lights are on and the camera's going and you're up there and then I'm like, all right, here I go. And I did the flip and then everyone asked me, like, how'd that feel? I'm like, dude, honestly, it didn't feel like anything. It was so safe. You can see me if you watch the video back. I kind of go to Jeff's ear. I'm like, that shit was so fun. <laughs> that was fun. But that was like, I feel like AEW wise, that was like the craziest thing like that. I thought for sure I was like <laughs> going to meet my doom.
0: What was it like for you to work with Jeff Hardy? I mean, you guys have been compared for forever. So for you guys to finally get to meet working for the same company, getting the ring together. Um, what, what was it like?
1: It actually felt like I was putting a match together with myself. That's cool. It's like, I'm going to front flip off of this. And he's like, well, then I'm going to flip and you're going to move. And I'm going to land on the stairs. I'm like, I've never heard someone say that. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, it felt like I was talking to myself. It, it was fun because, dude, a week before, it was, just was supposed to be a normal match. Just like a straight up just like match. And I went up to Tony and I was like, ain't nobody want to see us exchange wrist locks no, like, you know, you didn't put into a corner too much there. Like, something something has to break. Like, there has to be something insane going on. And then it was, like, in New York where there was, like, a state commission. And I was like, oh, why are we, why can't we wait a week where we're in Texas where no one gives a shit? <laughs> it's
0: a free-for-all in Texas. Let's go.
1: I'm talking to the commissioner. Oh, I'm going to climb up this ladder. I'm going to jump through here. And he's like, okay, you got it. And I was like, oh, shit, it's on. So... <laughs> he was there's just no blood i'm like cool everyone always says like the commissioner's gonna shut the show down if you do something stupid so like i'm always thinking like am i gonna front flip off this ladder and the lights go out like (laughs) (laughs) it's just like show's over guys
0: thanks for coming yeah
1: yeah so i just rather be like you know i like i want people to know what they're getting themselves into you know so uh it's cool. Like, I've never, like, busted a thing out in a match where I didn't tell anyone. Like, I'm always, like, telling everybody every single small detail. That's nice. Yeah, that was super fun, though. Like, Jeff, uh, he, was, he was the man that, like, that night. It was it was cool as shit. It was fun.
0: What's, like, your family situation as a mom when I'm seeing the things you're doing? I'm like, oh, my God, my daughter. If she were to be doing things, like, seeing her getting hurt, all of these things, like, that would freak me out. Did your family ever, like, call you up and they're like, can you just calm down?
1: No, they're there for all of it. My mom and dad were there when I jumped my house. (laughs) It was so funny because we jumped the house for the pilot of my reality show called Darby's Days Off. So we, you know, had this, like, reality thing where what does Darby do in his days off? And it's just, like, this gnarly shit. And then my my parents were in the whole pilot, you know, like, it was following them around. It was super fun. Like, but uh, they were there. And then my dad and my mom, like, have been there since, like, the beginning with all the gnarly shit that I was doing, like, in high school and, like, jumping off, like, with skateboarding and stuff like that. So they're used to it. They're so hyped on it now (laughs) that it, like, paid off. (laughs)
0: It's not just some dumb hobby.
1: I was a dishwasher. I worked at my first ever job was, like, Little Caesars, and I would dance in the outfit in the street. (laughs) I was like shit like I don't know uh there's a lot like there's a lot of things they just didn't know if anything was gonna pan out like is this guy gonna be jumping off his shit working at Ross his whole life
0: where does like that thrillist part of you come from are your parents like that at all or like what kind of just what sprung this whole crazy side of you
1: you know what's funny is I actually make them do shit now like my dad uh keep telling them like you're you know you're um Glory days are not going to be in your 20s. It's going to be in your 60s, motherfuckers. And then, like, I get like, I ran out this helicopter and I didn't tell them. And, like, it landed in my front yard. And we're like, all right, I'm taking you to this water spot. We're going to fly from my house to this lake. And then you're jumping off the out of the helicopter into the lake. And my mom did it. And it was like oh 60 feet. Gosh. It was crazy. My
0: mom's bones would all break. My mom's like 69. She'd be, my mom would be shattered. I don't know if she'd
1: survive it. It was cool. Like, and my, uh, my dad, like, make him do all this crazy shit. Like, uh, Brody King on the pilot of the show, like, body slammed my dad into the thumbtacks. You know, they don't know what to expect anymore. But that's what's the sickest part about this whole journey with AEW is, bringing all my friends and family along for the ride. Like with everything I do outside, we do so much like crazy shit with my family. Now it's so fun.
0: (laughs) I love, but you know what? Those are some of my favorite things. Like when I used to watch Bam's show when he would have his mom and his dad involved and stuff like those were some of like the best parts of the show. I lived for that shit. It was great.
1: Yeah. Like actually, um, hung out with Bam like two weeks ago. He came over to my house in Atlanta and, uh, Yeah, he was just like looking at everything. He's like, dude, this is perfect. And I was just like, yeah, like he's like looking at the skate park and stuff. And that's a whole nother story.
0: What kind of like advice has he been able to give you? I mean, you guys have obviously done such similar things, but to now see where you're at in your wrestling career to like having the reality show kicking up, which we'll circle back to in just a second. Um, But yeah, I mean, you're friends with Bam, you're friends with all these guys that have kind of lived and done that. What kind of um, advice do they give to you? while you're working together
1: they don't give me advice that like I don't know because like guys like Travis Pastrana and Tony Hawk they're psychos you know like those are the guys like I I hang out like with they're gonna just tell me keep going until I explode
0: (laughs) just egg them on
1: yeah I think that's what it is I it's it's cool because now I can kind of do the same for others like get everybody out of their own comfort zone and it's a cool thing to see when you like have someone to do something that's like gnarly that they never thought they were going to do ever in their whole entire lives and it's like see what the human body is capable of that's what the coolest thing about this whole like thing to me is just like physically seeing what like, what's possible it's i don't know it's super fun but like those guys like Travis Pastrana and all those guys like they helped me like big time with showing me like yo like anything's really possible cuz i never thought i was going to backflip a tricycle over a 40 foot gap sure That was insane, (laughs) I thought for sure.
0: (laughs) How cool is Tony Hawk to hang out with? Because he just seems like, I think he's got to be, like, one of the most beloved athletes of all time.
1: Dude, he's awesome. Like, it's literally, it's crazy because Tony Hawk and Travis Pastrana, like, they're, like, the Michael Jordans of their sports. And it's cool because they're, like, the most humble. It's, like, weird. It's, like, um, it's just, like, the people that have accomplished everything that have nothing to prove Have no ego. And it's so cool when you hang out with like guys like that. It was insane. Like, I don't know. They're just, I think the first time I ever talked to Tony Hawk, I was like, yo, like I want to, it was funny because I was going to go to his indoor skate park down in San Diego. And he's like, yeah, I'll meet you on Monday. But then he broke his finger. And then like, he told me, he's like, yo, uh, I can't make it. So like, uh, you can come skate my place still. And I was like, all right. I was kind of like, fuck, because I flew down from Atlanta. But uh, as I was there, his assistant like let me in, and we're skating. And I'm like trying to skate off this big ladder, and then his assistant's like taking this like picture. So I was like, yo, Tony, I don't know who the hell you invited, but this guy's jumping off of something big. <laughs> Tony's like, you know what? I gotta go down there and check it out. So he he got he left physical therapy and then came down and watched me. Skate this ladder, and it was sick because I landed the trick right when he got there.
0: Oh, my God.
1: He gave me, like, superpowers. I ate shit for three hours straight trying this. The moment he walked through the door, I'm like, oh, shit, Tony's here. And I landed it, and I was like, fuck, it was insane.
0: I was just going to ask you about that because at the beginning of uh, Tony's documentary, the, the newer one just came out, which is awesome if anyone listening has not seen it. It's so, so great. But it starts with him trying to, he's working on a trick, he's working on it, working on it, getting so frustrated, he hits his head, like goes through the motions with trying to like nail something down. But obviously you've been in a situation like that where you work on something for hours and hours and wait to, to land it or figure it out. What is that process like?
1: It's so weird because like, Back in the day, I was able to just like go crazy. And if I broke my ankle, I'm like, cool, whatever. I could just chill. But now I'm like on AEW and people don't know how gnarly it is to balance out skateboarding and wrestling. But I have such passion for skateboarding that you couldn't pay me to stop skateboarding. There's no way I would ever stop skateboarding. Like, There's not enough money in the world to make me. And I mean that because there was a point in my first year in wrestling where I just stopped skateboarding because I thought like I had to dedicate 100% of my time to wrestling. So like I stopped like doing a lot of things and I was just wrestling. And then for some reason I was so depressed. I was like, man, like it's almost I was like, I'm forgetting who I am as a person. Like I wasn't doing stunts. I wasn't skateboarding. I was like, man, like something's missing. And the moment I picked back up the skateboard. I'm like, it was this. I'm never putting you down again.
0: <laughs> I love you, skateboard.
1: That's pretty much it. And it was it was funny because like. So uh, it's, it, there's nothing that beats skateboarding to this day. I don't know. It was, it's like a feeling where with wrestling, I, I love it, but it's so weird to say, but like, I don't feel like it's my true uh, calling in life.
0: What do you think is? Skateboarding?
1: Skateboarding and backflipping tricycles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Both going very well. That's funny.
1: The night I backflipped the tricycle at this, the Nitro Circus show in uh, New York, I'm like sitting there and I'm like so happy. I just feel like an outer body experience. I'm like, I don't think I've ever experienced this in wrestling. It's so weird. I don't know.
0: Do you feel like there's, um, you're kind of like, not counting down the days, but that at a certain point you would transition out of wrestling and just stick with doing the stunt, sticking to skateboarding when that time seemed appropriate?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I just want to like go into like film and do other stuff. I don't know, man. Unless, like, I'm, like, really having a good time with what I'm doing in wrestling, I'll obviously stay. But I always tell people I don't want to be one of these guys who's, like, 50-something wrestling in a high school gym because he has to, not because he wants to. Sometimes I just get bored of the world.
0: It's such an odd, like, it's such an odd career, like, uh, all of it, from, like, the pro wrestling, the stunts, the skateboarding, to be, like, strategic about what your career and what your life looks like doing those things so that you can continue to make money and continue to build your career and build your name and all those things given the fact that they're all such like insanely natured but you do have to be strategic about everything that you do
1: yeah that's why i want to start like investing in real estate and all this other crap i'm very like smart with my money I'm not no idiot. I'm not going to buy like a boat. I don't need, you know, like I don't like I don't need a nice car. But I don't know. I just I want to like know that if I want to disappear from the world, I can. I just think it'd be so cool to just disappear from everything for like two years and go to some random country and like just fall off the face of the earth. And, you know, never update people with where I'm at. Like, it just sounds like nice.
2: What is your official title? I am an exorcist. I remove entities from people and places.
0: Holy shit. How does one become an exorcist? How, what drew you to being an exorcist? I have a bazillion questions. Okay.
2: Well, um, the answer was nothing. Uh, it wasn't like a – I didn't know it was a life's calling, let's just say. And it's not something I, I thought about doing really. It's just it's, it's something that I was born with. Um, so – I was born with the ability to see entity with my eyes. I can actually see entity in the way that I see people. Uh, and I didn't know that was weird. I mean, it was certainly weird, you know, But I, because it looked like monsters to me as a child. Uh, but I thought everybody could see that. And then I found out later that you don't talk about that. That's insane. Nobody else sees that. So for many, many years of my life, I kind of tried to suppress it as much as possible because I, I was odd. For that. So I, I tried to live a normal life. I became a, a writer. I live in LA, you know, it's not as normal as I get, I guess. But it's so cliche sounding because it sounds like I'm about to tell you that I had like a, some near death experience and it's not that at all. I had like a fender bender one day and it was just like one stressor too many. And I could no longer suppress it at all. Like I couldn't suppress the sight at all. And so the homeless man who you see screaming at something, I was definitely seeing what he was screaming at. Uh, and it was everywhere I went, like it became extremely overwhelming. And so at that point, you know, I often joke and I say like, okay, I i sat down, you know, with a scotch and was like, what is this? Can you tell me what this is for? You know, opening up to spirit even more. And, uh, you know, many scotches later, they were like, here's what we're doing with this.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. So, what was it what's it like when you were trying to suppress seeing these things? How do you tell how do you get them out of your mind, your line of sight? How does that work? Well, it's not that easy and I will
2: say that the pushiest of entities they would still come through and I can tell you about that. But like especially now even still when you go to really crowded places, when you go to a concert for example or whatever, it's very helpful to try and suppress the site <laughs> if you can, because like I was at a Florence and the Machine concert the other night, and there were like, I don't even know how many, like thousands among thousands, just so many people. And if you I'll open your site completely at that kind of place, you'll have so many, <laughs> you'll see so many entities. And it's not like I can do anything about it there. So I just tried not I try to have a normal time <laughs> when I go out to places like that. Um, it's weird. It's definitely hard to push it out, let's say.
0: Okay. So these entities that you're seeing, so say you're at the Florence and the Machine concert, you're seeing them everywhere. Are these entities attached to the people that are at the concert or are they just like there, they're in this space? Where do they come from?
2: So to answer the first part, yes, mostly they're attached to people. Uh, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're out looking for it a place to attach. Uh, How it works just to kind of give you some background information is, you know, it it works with energy, specifically energy. So we walk around with what I call a baseline frequency. So that's, you know, how we interact with ourselves, how we interact with the world, like how conscious we are about things, how unconscious we are about things. Um, And most people are walking around like on a scale of one to 10, where One is dead and 10 is Buddha. You know, we're walking around with like a four and a half at best, most of the time. And of course, like if you work on yourself, that can go up, right? You know, you're doing a little more work and being more intentional and all of that, but that takes time. What doesn't take time is trauma. And when we have a trauma, that baseline frequency takes a hit very quickly and now we are in low frequency. And low frequency is how entity attaches. They are low frequency, they're looking to feed, they're looking for someone to feed on, it has to be a very specific exact signature match. It's not like movies where they just jump from person to person to person. That's not how it works at all. So it's actually, (laughs) I hate to say this, but very intentional on their part looking for somebody that fits that for them. And that's kind of the trouble because you're already in a traumatized place, and that makes you more vulnerable to attachment.
0: Holy moly. That's crazy. I could just be attending a concert and I come home and I'm I'm possessed.
2: Potentially, yeah, but you don't even need to be attending a concert for that.
0: <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. So – When did you like figure out that this was a line of work that you like that you could turn this gift that you have into like helping other people? And how do you help people that have a situation with an entity?
2: Like I said, I I tried to deny it for a really long time. I didn't consider it a gift at all. I thought it was just uh, scary and weird and not good. (laughs) You just (laughs) didn't want to have this. Um, but then, of course, eventually I realized, well, it's not going to go away. You know, it's seemingly not going away, so I have to do something with it. So at first, what I did was I, I said, okay, you know, sitting down, opening up to spirit, connecting even more, which was scary for me at the time because, like most people, you know, that people are afraid of doing that. They're not sure what that will lead to. But for me, and I can talk more on this for other people, but. That's actually the most positive thing that you can do is open up to the good things as well as the bad things, because the bad things will come in no matter what. The good things will wait for you to ask. They believe in in free will and they're not going to interfere. And so for me, you know, opening up and saying, okay, guys, (laughs) help me out here. What am I doing? How do I do this? How do I translate this into something that is helpful to people? Because it's obviously here for a reason. So. I started working on people who would allow me to because I didn't know how it would go, you know? So I started working on close friends, let's say. They would be like, "Okay, sure. Yeah, practice on me." Because I was like, "Well, I'm seeing, you know, I've been seeing this for a minute. Will you let me Holy do Holy
0: shit. Wait, if you're like with your friends, do you tell them all the time like, "Hey, something's up," or do you wait to like clue them in on what's going on?
2: You know, I'm going to tell you that that really depends. <laughs> so it's so funny I had a friend over last night I couldn't remember the first time so this person has seen me multiple times and in fact has seen me for press you know like so it's she's outed herself as somebody who comes here but she was like do you remember the first night we met and I was like kind of I know we met at this party whatever anyway apparently I had told her that night like hey do you mind coming in because I see this thing on you which I've I don't normally do, so I was like, damn, I, I must have really, like, been adamant about getting that off of you. But she's like, no, it was best thing ever. It was the best decision of my life. So I normally wait. I don't usually tell people stuff that fast, but I guess it depends. It depends on the situation.
0: I obviously cannot move forward in this interview without asking, is there anything around me right now? <laughs>
2: You know, everybody asks that. And I will say, if I saw something that was really dangerous, I would tell you right away. And I don't.
0: (laughs) Is there anything that's like there at all? There is an
2: entity around. Um, It's what I consider the smallest of the small, which is something that 85% of the population is always carrying around with them. But it also can come off on its own. So don't worry about it. It's nothing dangerous.
0: Where do they come from? Like, what, what is an entity? Because I, like, are, I don't want people confusing that with just, like, is it, it's different from a ghost.
2: Yes. So deceased people are deceased people. They do their own thing. Uh, there's the whole idea that deceased people can uh, possess people. That's been done a million times, like, again, in movies. That's not exactly true. They can be annoying. Deceased people can annoy people, but they don't really possess you. When we're talking about entity, we're talking about what people consider demons. Um, that's, that's really it. The things that have never been human are not going to be human, have their own species, their own section of the world. That's what they are. Um, and where do they come from? That's a great question and really hard to answer. <laughs> you know, uh, a different dimension, a different place, source where all things come from. Hard to say, you know. Because there are also entities that don't interact with human beings at all. They just pass through. So it's a whole, it's weird.
0: And what (laughs) do those, what do those look like when you see them? Like, for instance, just like the harmless entity that could be around me right now that you said that a lot of 85% of people have something like that. What does that look like to you?
2: So there are different entities. They're not all the same. Um, And When I wrote my book, Sister of Darkness, I kind of started doing that book almost as a handbook for myself, just because I started seeing so many people with so many different things, and then you would see people with the same kind of thing again, and so I would just keep track of it. So I call the thing that I see with you, which again, also probably because you're highly empathic, I'm sure you know that, or people have told you that before, but that's coming off you in waves. So you know, when you are highly empathic and you're feeling all the feelings, you tend to pick up other people's feelings and other people's energy too. And so that can just lead to stuff like that. But for you, that's going to come off very quickly and on its own. And that's only because of trauma. We don't need to, we're not going to get into that here, but you know what I'm saying. So don't worry about that. Um, that thing is what I call a Clive. It's very scientific. I call it that because it looks like a Clive Barker drawing to me. (laughs) Okay. I've always called it. That's what it looks like to me. It's kind of like a mix between like a little brain and face hugger. (laughs) That's like a very, very small, small thing. And what that does is it amplifies negative feelings. So, you know, if you're sad, you're depressed. If you're depressed, you're suicidal. If you're angry, you have rage, that kind of stuff. And so you, you know, you don't have to be me to know who around you has that.
0: You know what I mean? <laughs> so sure. I if, wow, that's fascinating. That's really cool. Um, how do you differentiate between the ones that are harmless that kind of just come and go versus the ones that you need to have a little sit down and kick them to the curb? So the
2: ones that are harmless, they ha- I've never seen them interact with a person. They don't attach people. They don't do any of that stuff. They just kind of walk through and go through wherever. I don't know why, you know, they're just using this world to go through to wherever they're going. So they just don't interact with people at all versus the ones that are attached to people and feeding from people. Those are the ones that, you know, we want to take out of people. And just to go back, you know, when I first started doing this, the hilarious things that would ensue were not even about entity and attachment at all. It was like practical things like, oh, if you put a bunch of candles on the floor, you're going to kick them over and have a fire. <laughs> right. Point, right. You know? Right. So there was a huge learning curve in all kinds of ways when I first started doing this. And I, so I did only work on friends, but eventually, you know, those friends would go out and tell their friends and ask if they could come in and, So it became a whole thing. And I actually worked word of mouth for about a decade. Nobody knew that I was doing this at all, except for the people who came. But, you know, at that time, I was working on heads of studio, rock icons, you know, uh, Oscar winners, all kinds of things. But then also grandmas and like people next door and, you know, just everybody. Um, And I... (laughs) I did a thing where I I sold a script because I am also a writer. I, I sold a script to Blumhouse. Obviously, they make a lot of horror. And they had their annual um, costume party one year and I went. And, you know, it comes up in conversation that this is what you do. And then you end up talking to someone and they're like asking you a lot of questions. And then it turns out that that person worked for NPR. And so the story broke. And that's kind of how this all happened. Um, It was out, and then the book, and then the things, and so here we are.
0: (laughs) Wow. Um, Okay, before I carry on, I have to ask you, do you have a bulldog or something? Yes, okay. (laughs) I can hear it snoring. (laughs) I have a bulldog too, and if he's in the room with me, (laughs) just like reverberates off the floor. That's amazing. Sweet pup.
2: My dog is actually a Pekingese.
0: Oh, it's a Pekingese. Okay. Very snorty. Not be in here.
2: Like, <laughs> has to be here. So I have done so many meetings where you hear her in the background sleeping.
0: <laughs> I was making sure I wasn't going crazy. I'm like, is that my dog or is that her dog? I'm like, my dog's not up here. So it's not mine. That is so funny. I'm sweet, so sorry. Sweet. You're going to get like oh my God. noise. <laughs> no, I don't mind it at all. I was just making sure I that I was right in hearing that. That's so great. Love that. <laughs> OK, so you've been able to work, obviously, with a lot of different celebrities, some notable people. What is um, the craziest situation you've seen? Obviously, I don't expect you to say names or anything if you want to be my guest. But uh, yeah, what, what kind of things are you seeing with these people?
2: Um, OK, so one thing that comes up every now and again, it's not that common. Um, so one of, okay, let me backtrack. So one of the types of entities that we have in the world, unfortunately, is something that I call a wraith. And what a wraith does is it it attaches itself to people who've been through sexual trauma, sexual dysfunction, exposed to something too early. Um, that's kind of what they do. They're what people consider like a succubus or an incubus. So on occasion, I will get people who have lineage wraiths.
0: What is that?
2: That's something that's been with their family line for so long that it might not even be their trauma. It's something that happened back when that's just been passed down and passed down and passed down. One of the craziest things that you'll see, and doing spaces are always insane. So when I take entities out of spaces, that's actually the most dangerous work that I do because an entity that holds a space, there's only a few types that do. um, And the ones that can hold a space are are. Higher on the food chain, they're a bit more malevolent. Including one that's the highest of the high, the devil. Well, it's not, but that's what people—that's what I think it, people would assume it is. It, there's more than one of it, and it's—it's it's the highest I've ever seen.
0: Do you not say its name purposefully?
2: No, no, no. I call them Realm Walkers because there's more than one, and they walk between worlds. They just—they can do a lot of crazy things. But when they hold a space like a like a hotel, for example, like there's a whole chapter of the Cecil Hotel in my book. When they hold a space like that, they can actually take the whole building down on top of you. So you have to be very careful when you go into spaces.
0: Cecil Hotel is the one that was on um, Skid Row, right? Is that right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so when you're working with people and whether it's in a space or with like an individual, what happens? What does that process look like?
2: You know, it's nothing like you see in the movies most of the time. So most people don't have what I consider a movie style entity. That's more a Realm Walker movie style entity, the one that's like, really just theatrical and dramatic, you know, and like putting on all the show. (laughs) Sure, Not normal. Most people are not walking around with something like that. So for most people, I would say it's actually quite a peaceful situation for them. So what happens is, they come into my spirit room. I'm in my spirit room. They come in here and they, we have a conversation. We have a conversation about what to expect, what, you know, what you're going to feel, all of these different sensations that are going to go on in the body, what you're going to hear, that kind of stuff. Because people, when they come, they're afraid, you know, especially the first time. they don't know what to expect. And they're usually here because it's a last resort. So, um, and that's one of the reasons why I never, ever share who's been here specifically by name, unless they decide they want to tell people that because it's private, you know, this is a private space for you. So we go through kind of the process of what spirit is saying about what's going on with them. You know, I do hear spirit talk as well. So, um, When people are telling me things, I'm constantly, even now, like looking off into the sunset because I get information. And so I just say it back to people.
0: Is anyone talking shit about me right now?
2: (laughs) No, I'm just telling you that they were talking about some trauma.
0: Oh, my trauma. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God.
2: What were they saying? They were just saying, you know, you've been through a lot of things and not to freak out about having this attachment. It's not a big deal because they're like, you know, she's going to freak out. (laughs) And (gasps) also like how empathic you are and that the fact that you like, I don't know if you remember this or not, but they're saying that you've actually seen and heard deceased people since you were a child quite often. And that also is something, you know, that makes this a little more open, makes this a little more whatever. Like you've had visitations.
1: Oh my god,
0: that just made my like stomach kind of turn because that is one of those things that makes you. We were I did, just did an episode about this. Had my family on because we talked about a house that we lived in oh. that definitely had something happening. But I definitely do remember as a kid just feeling like I was seeing something. Something was around, um, but it's hard to decipher that when you're an adult and you're trying to like decode that and make sense of it. You're like, I don't know, my kid mind probably just made that up, or it was a shadowy room, or your imagination, all of these things that you kind of like try to justify things with. Um, so good to know that. Um, you did. It's just, I did. You did. it been and reconfirmed. wrong.
2: So this house that you lived in, I don't know why they're doing this now. So we're, we're on a tangent now. I'm so sorry. Let's
0: go. No, let's get into it. Let's have at it. Give. It, I would love to.
2: I don't know where this is, um, but they're showing a house that to me looks fairly old. Um, but weirdly, though, not like haunted house looking house. Like, it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like, like more normal looking house, just not brand new, like not a brand new space. But they're saying that the person who kept coming to you, oh this is actually kind of nice. I don't know if you remember this or if you blocked it or, or sometimes we just get the negative sensation of a deceased person being around and it's not their intent. I'm such a deceased person's advocate. I'm like, wait, <laughs> let me tell you. I, I consider myself such a deceased person's advocate because everyone's always them. And I'm like, they're
0: just people just dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, give them a bone. Let them live. <laughs> well, not <laughs> live. Let them <laughs> die. Let them be. <laughs>
2: so there is a woman that kept coming to you. A woman, a deceased woman from this space. I don't know how old you were, but it feels like you were pretty young. And they, this woman was... Um, Something happened. I don't know what tragedy this was, but this woman lost children. Oh, shit. She definitely lost children. So she was coming to you kind of as a watcher, kind of as a a helpful, like she wanted to make sure you were okay.
0: Wow. But
2: that doesn't change that you were probably scared. (laughs) You know, my Yeah,
0: like, I don't really remember, like, I remember having, like, an imaginary friend. I definitely had, like, an imaginary friend situation. But I think probably during a time when this would have happened, I was very young and my parents were splitting up. So it definitely probably was, like, a pretty, like, what's going sense. on. Yeah.
2: So then she was with you because she knew you were going through something. So she was there, you know. Wow. I think she was trying to be a helpful presence but again our bodies react so strongly to that strange energy and also especially if they come to you visually not every deceased person will do that Uh, sometimes they don't do that because they don't want to scare
0: you (laughs)
2: right Uh, sometimes they want you to see them it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but um yeah that makes so much sense that's why so she was coming to you at night she was coming to you at night checking on you while sleeping which is very scary sounding but that's what she was doing
0: I mean, it's sweet when you think about it. When I think about my daughter sleeping and how often I poke my head in to make sure that she's yeah. doing okay, that's actually really sweet. I don't find that scary. I like that.
2: Isn't that interesting? When you know the background story, it changes the way you feel about the visitation. It changes the way you remember things. And you might have more stuff come to you now.
0: Well, I always feel like I always feel like I am very receptive to those things. I mean, they definitely do like it makes my hair stand up on the back of my neck a little bit. Like it does scare me. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's not like there it's a I've never felt that like negative kind of energy. I have felt like a oh, there's something happening or I feel like something's in the room. I can feel that, but it's never been that negative kind of feeling. But yeah, I think anytime someone thinks like, "Oh my gosh, a ghost or a spirit," you instantly kind of go into like panic mode and and think worst-case scenario.
2: With you in particular, you have a lot of um, spirit guides around you. So you're very protected. Like you feel very protected, but you have nice energy. That's why, like you, you've been working on yourself. I don't know if I should even out all this stuff. And No,
0: please. It's okay. Yeah. Have at it. I'm not going to say any
2: specifics, but you've been working on yourself a lot. You've been through a lot of things. You've been working on yourself a lot. And so because of that, you've just kind of moved up energetically in the world. And so you have a lot of spirit guides who are very fierce protectors of you. But it doesn't mean, though, because you I know you say you don't perceive negative, but you when you've walked into spaces that felt wrong to you, you have left those spaces like you've walked in and been like, oh, I don't know about this feeling Like, you're perceptive about when something's off. And you are also really perceptive about when something's off with a person.
0: Big time instantly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And you know what? Again, I don't want to say this here, but I'm just going to put, I'm just saying this to you. You have avoided some very dangerous situations because you've trusted that.
0: 100% I have. 100%. I can think of one in particular that I also will not get into the specifics of here um, to not out anybody or anything, but definitely a situation um, that on paper seemed like it could have been a great situation. And I was like, "Mm mm-mm my, like every instinct in my body was telling me that it was not. And then lo and behold, yeah, this person was like not a good person, especially towards women. Um, so yeah, you get those feelings and like, I mean, whether you, you know, you want to call it a, a guttural instinct or, or whatever, but I think like just being able to like feel that like good, that bad, like, I feel like I can read somebody right out the gate of like, what kind of a person are we dealing with here? Is this person going to be my friend or not? Yes,
2: absolutely. And, but you trust that, especially as women, too, we're taught a lot about placating and second guessing stuff. And so a lot of people do like they're like, well, you know, yeah, it feels really weird, but I'm just going to go with it. You know, that's just me. It's just me. And then they put themselves in a predicament. So it, you like actually pay attention to those things, which is solid.
0: Is there any difference between like just being like, mm, that person might not be a good person or having something like that, like the energy's off or something like a negative entity or the, like, what is the difference between those things?
2: So someone who's carrying an entity, it doesn't mean you'll feel negatively around them because entities are actually very common. It's not as uncommon as we've been taught to believe it's, it's pretty common. The people who have the worst of the worst though, I will say so, okay, so let, let me back up a little bit and just explain those entities a bit more. So realm walkers are the kind of thing that you see when people do like the hysterical, you know, movie exorcism. Um, and I can't say that never happens. It does happen. But it's Have you scary. ever seen that? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, one of my goals actually is to go into every place in the United States where a realm walker inhabits and to remove it from the space which will ultimately change the entire town around it because they're just such a black hole. It's, It's really terrible. So, Realm Walkers, they are the top of the food chain as far as I have ever seen. They can do anything and everything that an entity below them can do plus. So, whereas, you know, an entity normally can just kind of control and work with one person at a time, a Realm Walker can, like, go off for, like... A hundred people at a time it can erase minds it can it sounds insane. I know what it sounds like, but it can do these things. It can call people to a certain place, which is why the Cecil Hotel has always been what it is so realm walkers are kind of crazy <laughs> in terms of what they can do, but the rest of everything is is not so You know, um, having something like a Clive, very common. Even having, unfortunately, something like a Wraith, really common. Having a Trickster, which is something that forms a symbiotic relationship with people, pretty common. But a realm walker is not. And the reason why it's not is because it doesn't go after. You know, like when you see a movie and you're like, there is a farm and it's in the middle of nowhere. And here's where this crazy possession happens. And this entity goes through five people and then they all die in the end. If you think about that logically, that makes no sense, because if if you're taking an entity that's the smartest, the most malevolent, the most cunning, it's not going to be doing that. It's going to be looking for world changers. So it's only interested in people that are world changers. So it's not going to go after that girl on the farm unless later in life, she's going to be something that does something that tips the scales in a huge way. So oftentimes with realm walkers, they also are more prevalent to go after people that are already uh, leaning towards something dark. Let's say,
0: do like celebrities and people in that world are they more inclined to be attached to because of that? Because they're people that are out. Like, is that what you mean by that?
2: I mean, like nuclear kind of people, like people. Oh, so it's mostly behind the scenes people who they attach to that are the money people you know, that are pushing money to a specific place, funneling something specific, an agenda to change the world and put something negative in power. That's what they go after. Well, actors, not necessarily, though they get their own sense. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they've got their own
0: shit that they're dealing with.
2: They're always the funniest because I've dealt with a couple of male actors that I'm never, I'm never going to say who, but if they do, I'll laugh. I'll laugh if they put this out there, but they always come in and they're like, I have the worst thing you've ever seen. This is going to be the worst entity you've ever seen. I promise. It's the hardest thing you'll ever take out of anyone. Are you even qualified to take this out? They'll walk in and it's a climb.
0: God, I wish my husband was here. I kind of want to, I wish he was here. I'd bring him up so we could get like a reading on him. I would love to get like a good Well, anytime, just email me. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. No, this is all like, it's really fascinating. So when, I mean, you and I are, you know, we're on Zoom, so to speak, but like, to be able to pick up on my energy. Is it harder to do because I'm far away from you or is it just the same? Cause you can see my face and all, the- um,
2: you know, if we were in the same room, I could tell you probably a lot more. And also since we're kind of going off on talking about other things, if I was like real focused. I could probably give you a lot more um, in terms of you specifically.
0: Gosh, um, so can this- we do that? Can we yeah. do that? Or am I putting you on the spot? I would love to do that. You can do it.
2: Um, but you'd have to be here. So.
0: <laughs> oh, I have to be in person. Damn. I thought you meant like we could do it here.
2: <laughs> well, you never know. More stuff might come up. But it's it's just it easier for me Like if we're face-to-face. You know what I mean? Sure.
0: Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page, just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there and you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool growing community. So, uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there and jump in the comment section, you know, jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.